because uh, um, as Andy said, we were part of the church here in the 1990s and learnt so much back in those days. I was a young minister in my mid-twenties and uh, uh, here found a fellowship that really encouraged me but taught me about the importance of loving one another, about the importance of prayer, about the importance of keeping the word of God central to what we do, about the urgency of evangelism and actually the fun you can have in evangelism together as well, uh, about the importance of youth work in local churches, all kinds of things. And I, I moved on from here, went to a church down in England in Worcester and God was really good to us and that church grew over the following years from about 120 to about 500 people. And I look back and realize that well, that was obviously God's great work, but the bit of usefulness that I had in it was significantly because of what I'd learned in the church here. And you, know, you trace back what God's doing in your life. And what, you know, what God's doing today is forming us for what he's going to do tomorrow in our lives again and again. Um, as Andy said, um, I, I moved back um, to Scotland about five years ago to um, do a role with our, our Baptist family of churches as the continuing ministry development advisor. The role I took over from John Greenshields, who many of you know, uh, strangely, strange. Uh, and then last year, I became the general director of our union. And we've got a little slide here, I think. Can I, can I see the slides that are on the screen? Oh, there it's up there, okay, but it's not here, okay. Um, so, um, just if you're not sure what the Baptist Union of Scotland is, it's the family of churches that Bridge of Don Baptist Church is a very important part of, along with 162 other churches. There's a map of Scotland there that doesn't have Shetland on it, I know that, I've been told that several times already. Um, and uh, you can see some of the statistics there. Uh, when it says 36,000 plus people are supported and impacted, that's really what churches report through all all the different kind of organized ministries that we're doing in communities all around the country. There must be hundreds of thousands of people who are actually impacted by the discipleship of Christians in Baptist churches around the country. And the Baptist Union really is our, our network for supporting, encouraging, strengthening one another in lots of different ways. Anyway, I can talk more about that. I can talk endlessly about that if, if needed. But what I want to do is get onto the scriptures. We read from Joshua 16. No, Joshua 14. So, have you got that experience of being on a journey and you're nearly there? You're driving along the dual carriageway home and you see the sign, the turn off to where you turn off to go home and you think, I'm nearly there. Or you're on a flight somewhere and you feel the, the plane start its descent and you think, yeah, we're nearly there. Or you're on a train journey and you, you know your station is next and you feel the train starting to slow down and you think, yes, nearly there. God's people, the Israelites, had left Egypt by a miraculous God-given sequence of events and they'd travelled for months and months and months through the wilderness and they got to the border of the promised land, the land that God had promised them. And they must have had that sense in their hearts, we're nearly there. This is our turn off from the desert. We're going to go into the promised land. And Moses says to the people, um, uh, he says, what we need to do is we need to send some explorers into this land to see what it's like. So every tribe, there are 12 tribes, everyone send someone to be an explorer, to go and, we used to say, to spy out the land, to check out what's happening in the land. And um, so each tribe produces someone, and one of the people is Caleb, who comes from the tribe of Judah. 
The only other interesting person, or the person you'll remember in this list, is Joshua from the tribe of Ephraim, who becomes very important later on. And Moses sends them off to this new land. Have we got a picture of them? Here we go. And this is what he says to them. I'll put it on the, on the screen. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they, are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your, do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for ripe grapes. So these 12 men go off together. You can see one of them there, his wife, saying goodbye to him in that cartoon. He's saying, now, be sensible. And uh, they go, it's the kind of men's weekend away that actually turns into six weeks away together. And they go through the hill country of Judah and they go on as far as the great city of Hebron. And they check out what's going on and they see this is in fact a wonderfully fertile land and they collect grapes and they collect pomegranates and they collect figs. And after 40 days, they bring them back to the camp in the desert of Paran where everyone's waiting. And uh, they report back. And Moses says, well, tell us what's gone on. And they say, well, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is it really is a land flowing with milk and honey. And look at this fruit we've brought. Grapes, figs, pomegranates, it's fantastic. And you can imagine these people who've been months in the desert looking at this fruit and thinking, wow, we'd like some of that. But there's bad news, they say. And the bad news is the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified, and they're very large, and we even saw giants living there. The people are so big. The implication is very clear. It sounds very nice, but it's impossible. We're never going to get in there. And an uproar breaks out in the camp, and people are saying, what's the point of all this? And then Caleb stands up. Caleb from the tribe of Judah. And he kind of brings a minority report. And he says this. It says, Caleb silenced the people before Moses and says, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. We should go up because we can certainly do it. And the other explorers say, no, it's too difficult. They're too strong, too powerful, too big. The land will devour, as they say. It will eat us for breakfast. This is all in Numbers 13, by the way. The other explorers say that, and then the whole assembly is in uproar overnight. And not for the first time, they start to grumble against their leaders, Moses and Aaron. And in fact, they threaten to stone them to death if they say you've got to go into this dangerous land because they feel we'll just be defeated if we try and take that land. And then the next day, Caleb speaks up again. It says, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. So this time, it's Caleb and Joshua together, bringing this minority report. And they say, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And then the glory of God appears in the camp and God speaks to them. And he says, well, because you refuse to trust in me and believe I can take you into this land, you'll spend another 40 years traveling in the desert. And it will be that you will inherit the land, but it will be the next generation 
who inherit the land, except that Joshua and Caleb will be among those who inherit, because they had faith to believe that we could get into this new land. And so uh, God says in Numbers 14, no one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. So this is what happened when they were nearly there. There was a 40 year delay. And now we're going to press fast forward into the book of Joshua and chapter 14, where Andy just read, and this is 45 years later. So they've had the 40 years of the desert and five years of beginning to uh, enter that land. And this is what Caleb says 45 years later. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back and a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people sink. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. That's him looking back 45 years later. Now he says he was 40 when he went exploring the land with the other 11, so he must have been 85 when he said that. I'd like to pause for a moment because you can get too much of my voice and are you willing to talk to the person next to you? Do you, feel, do you feel that you could bear to have a brief conversation? I'm sure you could. I've got a couple of questions here. What do you like about Caleb? From what you've heard, from what you know, what do you like about Caleb? And if you completely answer that question in the next two minutes, have you ever done anything like Caleb? Or have you seen someone else do it? Can I ask you just in twos, or if you're in a group of three, just have a quick conversation. I want you to interact with this yourself and say, what, what do you like? about Caleb. If you're really allergic to talking to other people in church, then it's okay just to sit quietly for a moment. But I'm going to give you two minutes starting now, see what you come up with.
Okay, this could go on for a while, but let me just stop you there for a minute. I'd like to just, uh, I'd just like to hear from a couple of people. What sort of things did you say? What, uh, what do you like about Caleb? Anyone? His optimism, yeah, yeah, ah, oh, great. He trusted God's promises. He trusted God's promises, yeah. He just Say that again. He was courageous. He was courageous, beautiful. Yeah, someone over here. He just went out, had a vision, and went out and went for it. He went, had a vision, went out and went for it. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. He, he persevered, he kept going for ages, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah, and yeah, yeah. He wasn't afraid to be a minority. That's true, he wasn't afraid to be a minority. Yeah, what a guy, yeah. We need people like that, don't we, yeah. Are you... Age is no barrier with God. Age is no barrier with God, yeah, that's true, yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. Ah, it was about his growth as a leader, yeah, that's good. Right, okay, you're good. You've actually brought more wisdom out of this than I'm going to do. You're basically better at preaching than me. But um, to, I, a couple of things that, that really struck me. One is um, this Caleb is the one who's got faith that God is working in the midst of the most negative-looking circumstances. And that took me right into the New Testament. And it took me to that time when Jesus had been arrested and had been beaten, and had been taken out and had been crucified, and his followers had seen him die. And it seemed like it was the end of everything. It seemed like hope had gone. They'd, been, they'd imagined they were almost there, that somehow the kingdom of God was coming near, and then it snuffed out on the cross. Except it isn't, because on the third day, some women come and say, we've seen the Lord. He's alive. And then the other disciples see him and Jesus appears because what God is doing is bigger than human imagining. When God gets to work, it always surpasses what we think is possible. And Caleb gives us a bit of a foretaste of the God of resurrection. But also, especially for today, I chose this because you'll see it says in verse 7, Caleb was 40. I was 40 when Moses, uh, 40 when Moses the servant of the Lord sent me. And Bridge of Don Baptist Church is 40. And I want to say, what, what, what's the attitude here that you are cultivating as a church on your 40th birthday? Caleb was full of faith, ready for a new adventure, believing God could do many amazing things. He'd seen some incredible miracles in the past, like crossing the Red Sea. He'd seen manna fall from heaven. He'd seen water come from the rock as Moses struck it. He'd seen great miracles. I guess part of your story as a church is you've seen God do amazing things. Caleb had also lived in the wilderness for many months and he knew what the dry and difficult and challenging times were like. And I guess everyone here individually and in some ways as a church knows at stages when it's been dry and difficult and challenging. And here's Caleb at 40 with both those things behind him saying, 
I am full of faith for what an amazing God can do and will do next. And I'm not seeing the obstacles. I'm seeing the possibilities. I'm seeing God's promise being fulfilled through us. So Bridge of Don Baptist Church, has God given you a glimpse of the future, a vision for what might be, what this church is going to be next, of what God will give you, of what you will inherit. And do you believe that is possible? Surely, like Caleb, you do, or you want to do, or in the power of the Spirit, you will believe. Are the obstacles to getting there bigger than God? Or is God bigger than the obstacles? Because that was was the difference between the 10 and the two amongst those 12 explorers. The 10 said, the obstacles are bigger than God. And the two, Caleb and Joshua said, no, God is bigger than the obstacles. Here are three simple things for a church in its uh, aged 40 drawn from Caleb. And the first is this, the three questions really. The first is, do you know you are sent? In verse seven, Caleb says, I was 40 years old when Moses of the servant, servant of the Lord sent me to explore the land, to be sent. As a church, you're on God's mission. The question is not how can we grow our church, but has God sent us to this place? Has God sent us to this bit of Aberdeen, to Bridge of Dawn, to our networks and friends and neighborhoods, to the people in the community around here? Because if God has sent you, and I believe he has, then is there any saying no? Is it not all different if you are sent by God? It's not simply about how can we build a church that feels good? It's about how can we fulfill the mission that God has sent us on. And you know, that's being Christ-like. I often think about being Christ-like as having characters of gentleness and patience and love and kindness and generosity and so on. Humility, which of course is Christ-like. But Jesus says in John 20 verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So to be Christ-like is to know that we are sent by Jesus into his world to make him known through our deeds and our actions. This network of churches that is the Baptist Union is 163 churches, each one sent to a different community from Shetland in the north to Dumfries in the south and from Peterhead in the east to Tyree in the west. Each one sent to love and to serve and to embody the love of Jesus and invite people to discover the way of Jesus through repentance and faith. Each congregation exists under a call from God. No one else is making you be church here apart from God who calls you. First question, do you know you are sent? Second question, What about your convictions? Listen again to Caleb, still in verse seven. He says, I brought Moses back a report according to my convictions. Interesting, isn't it? Seems to be separating himself out from the other 10. Saying my convictions were different. I believe that God could do something. 
What are our convictions? The deepest beliefs in our hearts, the ones that really control our actions. Caleb's convictions were God will lead us into this land. His convictions were God is more powerful than the obstacles. He trusted these convictions rather than the pessimism of others. He was the optimist in that sense. Now, we've got a challenge today because we live in a difficult situation in that the church is not naturally easily and readily growing in our land. I've got some figures here from the 2016 Scottish Churches Census, which is the most recent data we have. Between 1984 and 2016, the number of church attenders in Scotland reduced from 854,000 to 390,000. In other words, from 17% to 7% of the population of Scotland. The number of churches reduced from 4,100 to 3,700. There's a table here of church attendance in Aberdeen. In 1984, it was 20,000. 1994, 19,000. 2002, 16,000. 2016, 13,000. In other words, it's reduced from 10% to 5% during that period of time. Now, we can look at this and find ourselves drawn to pessimism. Or we can think differently. What if we look at the world picture? What if we say, well, God, what have you been doing in China during this period? In 1984, there were about 1.3 million Christians in China. By 2004, there were 90 million Christians in China. Now, we can't really count, but there are several hundred million Christians in China. I was talking uh, just fairly recently with Ben Francis from India, who's part of BMS World Mission and began, some of you will know, a disciple-making movement called Big Life. It started in 2003 with three people trying to make disciples. They figured a very simple way of developing small, local churches. And since then, by now there are 18,000 churches and 200,000 new followers of Jesus. He's a Caleb. He saw what God could do. And so really, I just want to ask us, what are our convictions? Are we pessimistic? Do we feel we're caught in this irreversible flow of decline? Or do we believe that God can do so much more than we ask or imagine? Caleb says, I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people sink. Or I think it said melt in the version that you read. The others made the hearts sink. What do your convictions do? Do they make your heart sink and other people's hearts sink? Or do they fill you with hope that God has got amazing things to do? And tens and dozens and even hundreds of people can come to know Jesus in the coming years because of the ministry of this church, because the gospel is still the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Because it's not down to you, but it's down to Jesus who said, I will build my church. Believe in the power of God to do more than we can ask or imagine. 
Becky and I have just been reading uh, some things by Brian Sanders, who developed a network of churches in the States. It was called The Underground, and uh, he's recently moved to Dublin and is trying to develop the same thing there, and he's coming to our Baptist Assembly in the autumn to tell us a bit of his story. But he's seen a rapid growth of churches, and one of his phrases is, we just have to breathe in the impossibility of it all. And I think on your 40th birthday, I want to say, breathe in the impossibility of it all. And then, believe in what God can and will do. Do you believe that Jesus is still saying, I will, I will build my church? Or is your conviction actually that he's changed his mind? My conviction is that Jesus doesn't change his mind. I was with a group of leaders, just a small group of people, on Friday in, in Vale of Leven. Do you know Vale of Leven? Just kind of at the bottom of Loch Lomond there. It's a, it's a series of settlements. There's uh, Alexandria and Balloch and uh, Renton and Jamestown and a couple of other places. And it's an, it's an area with a population of about 25,000 people. And within that area, there now seem to be four churches. There's a Baptist church with about 15 in the congregation. There's an Elim church with about 15 in the congregation. There are two Church of Scotland churches with only slightly more in their congregation. And the people I was meeting with were saying, this must be one of the very least churched places in the whole of Scotland. And yet we don't believe that God is done with this. And we've been prayer walking in this area and we've been meeting to pray and we are trying to find where God's people already are in this community, even if they're going outside of the community to worship in Glasgow or Dumbarton or whatever, because we believe that God is going to rebuild in this community. And one of the great things about being a union of churches together is that um, they are kind of uh, looking to partner with some other churches and to share some of the resource that we have as a union together in order to launch something new there. But I came out of that meeting just infused by the faith of these people who said, this is hostile territory. The giants are against us, but God is for us. And here's the third and other question I want to ask. Are you wholehearted? Verse eight, Caleb goes on. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. In the whole of my life as a follower of Jesus, in the whole of my life as a Christian leader, I've never met anyone who said, yeah, well, my testimony is this. I started following Jesus because I met someone who was really half-hearted. And they were so half-hearted about their faith that I just wanted that for myself. And of course not. But I tell you what I do know, a lot of people who've come to faith because they found someone who was wholehearted, who was deeply committed, who was passionate, who was on fire, who was determined in their life to follow Jesus. And so I suppose the other thing I want to ask you on your 40th is does God have all your heart on this? The future of God's church is with the wholehearted. Those who love the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. You see, this is where it starts. God, now people look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And he says, if your heart is for me, that opens the way for me to work in untold power. There is no hope, actually, for the half-hearted, people who want the comfort of the gospel 
without the challenge of the gospel, who want the fellowship of the church without the mission of the church. But as we set out together to pursue Jesus wholeheartedly, offering him all that we have, our energy, our prayers, our finances, our relationships, our ambitions, then we become amazingly useful to him. I want to say on your 40th birthday, may God lead you beyond the obstacles into growth that you have not yet dreamed of. I was at this church when there were quite a few more seats set out on a Sunday. Um, and it was quite a big gathering in those days. And I could say, well, halcyon days of the past, wasn't that lovely, where's it all gone? But that is not in any sense the question God is asking. God is asking the question, will you walk with me into the next and the new phase of growth. And maybe that will be packing out this room again. Maybe it will be that you have networks and gatherings and communities all around Bridge of Dawn. Maybe God's going to take you on a different track in your next phase of growth and you'll have a disciple-making movement meeting in homes and little places and maybe it's not going to be so much about a big gathering. I don't know what God's going to do, but his hand is upon you. And so these questions I believe you are poised to answer yes. Do you know you are sent? What are your convictions? And are you wholehearted? God is calling you into his ways and he will be faithful as he was to Caleb. So may Bridge of Don Baptist Church in this 40th year also be Caleb-like Baptist Church. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing with us what really seems to be on God's heart for us today. And uh, as we take that in, we're going to stand